people are always going to be one of the hardest problems in business. You can't scale without people. So if you want to scale, you need people. People are your biggest strength, but they can also be your biggest liability, your biggest weakness, not liability financially, but by not having the right people. Welcome back to another installment of the Perspective Podcast. My name is Devin. This is my co-host, Mitch Harley. And we have the amazing Cam Roberts back on for another episode. Uh, he's a podcast host at Stripe It Like It's Hot, president at Laser Line Painting, and a teacher slash, slash coach at Stripe It Academy. Um, we've recently reconnected, uh, you know, just on a quick little touch base. And Cam's super modest, but I'm not. And so I'm going to brag on his behalf. Since we had him on the podcast last, he's more than doubled his business. And uh, I think that's an incredible accomplishment. But along the way, um, there have been some things that he has learned and some more awesome things that he wants to share. And so uh, we decided to get back together and dive into that and see, um, you know, what the journey has had in store for him. So, uh, Cam, welcome back. I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Thank you. The journey has brought me to my uh, laundry room in my new house. I don't, I don't have a desk in my house yet, so I'm <laughs> recording in the laundry room. The funny thing is, before we were uh, recording, he was showing us, giving us a grand tour of it. And you wouldn't know from the perspective we have here, but there is, I can vouch for this, there's definitely a washing machine to his left. That's why it's called the Perspective Podcast. You, you, you need to, like, you won't be able to see the perspective, but my microphone is clipped to the softener dispenser on my laundry machine, which I haven't even used yet because I don't, I don't know where my clothes are. They're in boxes somewhere. And this is what happens when we grow faster than we expect. <laughs> so Cam, what's, what's been happening in your world? What, uh, what brought on this, um, oh, man. you know, growth for you? What hasn't been happening? It's been mental. It's been amazing. Uh, incredible highs and then terrifying lows all wrapped up into one bundle of awesome. So it's, I mean, I guess to put it simply, it's just do, do the work that smarter people have told me to do and do it consistently and do it over and over again because there's no i've learned like there's i don't feel like i've made it by any means we're still growing like crazy but um there's no magic formula for to for what you got to do you just you do the things that you're supposed to do consistently you know um so that that's been a, a huge part of it but obviously like we've grown too like we're employees we're up to 11 employees now so it's just kind of crazy how fast that's gone and i've learned especially throughout a, a snow removal season, which is its own other thing that uh, people are everything like not just to facilitate the growth of a business, but like people are, are going to be your biggest strength and also your biggest weakness. Like sometimes even day to day, right? Like, I know we were just talking before we recorded, like Mitch is dying for people at this moment, like needs people now. And, and we've been in that spot multiple times this winter, like, Holy cow, we need people. So that's a, that's a, that's a tough thing to balance because Every, every time I feel like we've had the right people on the team to facilitate and support the growth we've been on, something happens, you know, uh, good or bad. Like we have too many people, not enough people. It, it's tough, tough to balance. So my focus has really been, especially in the last two months, my focus has basically been exclusively, how do I build the best possible team and the best possible culture of people to support the machine that is moving at what feels like light speed? So I, I definitely want to come back to the people because I, and I know Devin especially knows 
my uh, my passion for culture and the right people and, and training and, and all of that. So I definitely want to come back to that. But do you do you contribute the success or the growing success of your business to be um, market orientated? Because we're I think we're both in in a market where it is growing, it is booming. There are uh, you know spots available for for pretty much anybody. However, even if the market wasn't you know, all of the reason that you're succeeding, is there things that you're doing that you're like, I could sustain this, even if the market did have a dip? I, th- I think the answer is yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely like the market here is incredible for what we do, like parking lot work, snow removal, especially like snow removal is a completely broken industry. So the people who answer their phone and can actually show up on time are the people who win in that industry. So yeah, we're, we have that benefit. Um, you know, market helps tremendously, but if things changed, like, I guess that's your question, right? Like what if, if things changed, um, like what if the market slowed down, do you yeah. feel like you've done things and implemented things where even a slower market could still sustain what you're doing? 1 million percent. Yes. And I guess I would answer that like in the short term, right. Um, with snow removal, it's so unpredictable. You get a mass amount of snow in one month and the next month you're bone dry. So we've seen that we had a, a like no snow in November record setting December, the beginning of January was on pace to set records. And then we we've only had like a couple like plowable snow events for our operating team in the last six weeks, like literally like two or three. So our challenge is, well, well, how do we keep our core group of people busy? So, I mean, that's market in a way it's more weather than market, but I've learned like when you, you need to have some really good, really good systems on your back end and in the office to support, those people, because we simply just can't send them home and say, sorry, we got no work for six weeks. There are companies who will do that. Right. But that just gives yourself to the problem in, in every industry, not just snow, but you, you give people time off that they're not expecting while they're going to go find other work. Right. So if, if that ever happened in the market sense, like, I don't know, 2009 all over again. And what happened with COVID, I mean, with the start of COVID we had, like, I was tiny. I think it was just me and a helper at that point, start of 2020 every hotel job I had booked, which was a small handful, all canceled, like almost on the same day. It was ridiculous because nobody was traveling to hotels. So when that happens, pivoting is huge. Um, I feel like our core services of what we do in parking lot with, with pavement marking specifically is fairly market proof. But that being said, there was a wicked, like unbelievable paint shortage in our industry last year, like massive. We had to fight tooth and nail I was trucking it out of Ontario from private contractors, a guy who literally I connected with on the podcast. He was like, Hey, I heard you're looking for paint. I've got a little bit of extra. So I was one of the fortunate ones to get paint for our our company. But if that happens again, like if there's no yellow paint in the world, yeah, we'll, we'll pivot. Absolutely. Um, That's one of, to me, I could talk about this all day, but to me, that's one of the benefits of being like a relationship based contractor. So we're not in it we're not in it just to sell the service. I think I told this, I I talked about this last time I was on too. Like, I feel like once we have a client who fits our values and what we value as a team and we work with them well, once we have that client, we hold on to them forever. Like, I I don't want to let that client go. If they understand our core values, if they understand what we're doing and they realize that we will provide a solution to the problems that they have, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep them forever. So if there's no traffic paint tomorrow, We'll go pressure wash your sidewalks. We'll come up with something to continue that relationship, continue to help them while at the same time still, you know, sustaining our business. 
So in order so, to have that pivot model, sorry, in order to have that pivot model, because um, it is, it's a model in itself, right? Uh, to be able, do you have, have you built your back end? Let's say your admin end of it, kind of the behind the scenes workings of the business to a point where if you were to put a bolt on service in there, that it kind of seamlessly goes into that, you know, kind of the way everything flows in the business. Cause lots of businesses are so, you know, single-minded, single service oriented that you throw something out of that realm and all of a sudden it goes to chaos and they can't provide it, even though it's fairly simple. Have you kind of worked on that part of it, that growing the business so that you can pivot pretty much on a daily? I feel like Mitch, literally that's all I've been doing for the last month, which is actually a good, like I'm not resented at all. Like that is what I've been doing for the last month is building those exact procedures and policies and, and processes. Not, not with the eye of what if paint disappears tomorrow, but like, man, COVID exposed, like supply shortage exposed businesses that are, were all in on one thing and had no backup plan. Right. Like to your point, I don't know, like if you're a drywall company and drywall's gone tomorrow because of the great, great gypsum shortage or whatever, like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Having those, those things in the office documented, um, a, like a sales process, a selling procedure. That's what we're building now. Well, I've always had something like that, but not built to scale and not built to pivot. So yeah, you know, what's funny is um, when I started working with my business coach way back at the end of September, 2020, he just, it was like our second call. He randomly said like, what would you do if there was no traffic paint available? And he was, he's asking me to get me thinking about like alternative options and stuff. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that's a good exercise, but that's not going to happen. Right. Like traffic paint shortage has never been an issue. Literally seven months later, like beginning of 20, you couldn't buy paint. Nobody had paint anywhere. So man, you have to be ready to pivot for that stuff. There's one thing that I'm noticing a lot in uh, the conversations that you and I have is there's a, this built-in resourcefulness that you have as an entrepreneur. Um, And I'll point at the problem with niching down. I've had this conversation with a few people, gotten a couple of Facebook arguments over it. Um, but it has been my experience that although gurus and experts and all this other, you know, that, that lot of people will preach that it's important to find a niche and get really, really, you know, specific and all this other stuff. And I I don't think that they're explaining it properly in terms of what and why that matters, because, uh, for your business, um, just painting things in parking lots wasn't enough right? I'm sure that there's, there's, that can be the backbone, but there are, are other services now that you kind of add in supplementary to that one in um, the range of things that you're capable of doing. And so, yeah, we maybe we niche down initially to like create a, a small product offer, but in order to keep people working when there's six weeks of no work, you need to have other work and other opportunities and other things. And so, um, where, where does that come from for you in terms of like that resourcefulness or that ability to kind of ignore what the mainstream narrative is in terms of niching in your, in your space? I just listen to a ton of podcasts and read books all the time. Like, really, that's it. Like, I'm just, my, I, I say I have squirrel brain, like I have 500 <laughs> ideas a day. I really do. Like I've, you know, I've had some terrible Relatable. ideas. Yeah. 500 ideas a day. A handful of them are really, really good. So I'll try them out. I have no problem trying things either. That's, I think that's a tremendous strength. Like I never used to be that way. 
Like I, I, I dabbled in like doing my own work for, you know, years and years in my early twenties and never actually started a legitimate business. Right. Um, can I tell you just a crazy story? There's a guy that just came on my podcast like a week ago and it's just speaking to what you were just talking about. His name is Sam Kaufman. He's a super cool dude. We're in the same circle uh, uh, with win rate consulting, same, same coaching company. And he told me a story like he's, he's a countertop guy and he was for years. So he was an employee, worked his face off, got tired of it, started his own business in the countertop industry. So he's, he's doing countertops and he got approached by a, a prospective business partner one day who did like, he called it fancy trim, like high-end trim work. I don't know how you could do a $50,000 trim job. I just, I look at trim. I'm like, I, I don't know how that's possible, but he's like, dude, I can help you. Like I can sell these $50,000 trim jobs. And so Sam at the time was like, just saw the money, right? Like, boom, trim work, let's do it. So on my podcast, uh, shout out to my podcast. Uh, he, he tells a story about like how it, it basically, it, it almost cratered his entire business, adding that, that vertical or not vertical, like adding that separate service. So in his brain, it was simple. This guy will do the work, but because that guy didn't have the same values as Sam didn't, didn't operate in the same mentality. It was a total train wreck to the point where he had to drive over to the job site. This guy was at one day, fired him on the spot in front of everybody. It's quite the story. And, and he completely scrapped it. And he said something at the end of this story that I was like, man, it's stuck in my brain of all the things we chatted about with Sam or I chatted about with Sam. It was stuck in my brain the most. He said to this day, like I asked him, Devin, I, asked, I basically asked him the same question. Like there has to be a balance between expanding your service offerings, which is good, but also not diluting yourself with 500 things that you can't do well. So I was like, what's the balance? Like, how do you know? And his answer was simple. He's like, if it, if, if I can't fulfill that service with my current crew, with my current trucks, with my current equipment, with my current, everything we have now, it's a separate business and I won't do it. And I was like, whoa, like that is, that is a deadly good answer. And I, that's his barometer for like, should I add this service or not? It's not about the money. Cool. You can slam a $50,000 trim job. That looks awesome. Like, but that doesn't, that's not going to help your business if you don't have the right stuff there to support it. So I heard that and I was like, dang, like everyone in my industry dabbles in other things, right? So you asphalt maintenance and then you pressure washing and then you're doing exterior painting and then you're doing this and that. If you can't facilitate it with the stuff and the values you have now, it probably should be a pass. And this I, is, he said, yeah, it, it opened my eyes. That That's incredible because the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was, okay, so if it's not about niching down into the only thing you do is paint lines and uh, you have all of these other services, the fact that like, if it doesn't fit on the truck and my tools and my people, then, it, you know, it doesn't fit in our business. I look at, you know, my scenario where um, I have a, uh, you know, a set of different skills and a variety of different things. I can do anything from video production to sound engineering. And I'm very well skilled at all of these things. I know the time it takes to do it. Um, I can quote things out for that kind of stuff, but it's not something that's an obvious ask for somebody who's like, I don't know. I just need marketing. So, well, what does marketing look like? I can't sell you sound engineering if you don't even know what that means or what the practical application of it is. So it all kind of boiled back down to um, relationships relationship management, building those relationships, carrying them on indefinitely into the future, um, as I found. So it was, 
oh, hey, yeah, can you make sure that we have social media posts going out regularly? Yes, that's a thing that we can do. Also, can you make sure those posts reach more people? Yes, that's definitely within the capacity. Two different products, but inside of the thing that I can do. And now uh, what I'm noticing is like, oh, hey, do you know anybody that does graphic design? Or do you know anybody that can edit a video for me? Or do you know anybody that can build a website? And all of these are necessary skills in the, you know, the um, umbrella of marketing. So I'd love to hear your take on that in terms of like, how do you, uh, you know, get solid with that um, beliefs and value system that you use to connect with the people that you're aiming to serve? Man, you know what it is for us? I'll tell you, we rebooted our core values. Correction. I rebooted our core values. I, if we were to redo it again, which we probably will in a couple, couple of years or whenever, as companies change, I imagine we'll rechange them. But at that time, I was still pretty much the, the main person. I didn't have a lot of uh, people in the company to help me. So I, I redid our values and I put them on a poster. So we have five core values that I will, like we have a team meeting every week. I My goal is to make all 11 of our employees vomit with how much they hear those values because we are a value-based company. So like, I go to the extreme degree with our five core values, but on this poster that I made that has the five core values, I included at the bottom what the mission of this company is. And it's very simple. The mission is to be the premier parking lot provider in central British Columbia. That's the mission of this company. So we do have some very, that you can't track that measurably, but we do have some metrics and goals that we want to hit on the one year, three year, five year targets. So, if I get the opportunity to go quote exterior painting of the Walmart here, is that going to help me further the mission of why this company is in existence? And the, to me, the answer is no. Like our mission is to be the premier parking lot provider in central British Columbia. But, but like, just as an idea, we've tossed around the, the, the notion of adding uh, uh, parking lot lighting services. To, to our portfolio, right? So, you know, every giant parking lot, your malls have parking lot lights. Half of them are burnt out, at least here, because it, it's not an easy thing to get access to a contractor who's got the equipment to get up there, change them out. So is that something we would consider in the future? Absolutely. Because now I can go to my client who has goes on our website, sees what our mission is. And I can, I can sell that as we want to be the premier provider in your parking lot. That's how that's, that's my barometer for like, will we do this? Will we won't? No, I don't want to paint the Walmart like on the outside of your, I don't want to paint your stucco. That's not going to help me further the mission, but will we help you with other things in your parking lot? Absolutely. Will we sweep it? Will we wash it? For sure. Will we plow the snow there? Definitely paint it. Absolutely. So that's kind of the barometer I use because I think you can get carried away, you know, literally the same, you could use the same kind of equipment to paint the parking lot as paint the stucco. You could drive our, or you could drive our same machine up there and paint away. It looks like the same thing, but it doesn't further the mission. So I imagine in your space, Devin, like digital marketing stuff, like, like you said, there's 500 different things you could do for us. It, it, I, I boiled it down to that mission that we, we beat into everybody and our employees and our website and our clients. Like, this is our mission. This is what we're going to do. So it becomes an, an attempt or an effort to get really, really hyper clear and hyper focused on what that mission is and how you are 
presenting that to people. And this is, this is the, the crucial thing about this is like, yeah, I can work with real estate agents. I mean, I spent 13 years as a real estate photographer and, um, you know, various other services related to that in terms of marketing, like virtual tours and website landing pages and brochures and flyers and all that kind of stuff It all tied together to the same thing, which was to help the real estate agent get attention on the property that they were listing and selling. So when it comes to like marketing, as an example, uh, I could also help, um, you know, a tutoring company, or I can help a motorcycle dealership, or I could help, you know, a line painting company, each of these things. um, I know what the, the mission is, which is to generate more business, get in touch with the people that are interested in the thing that you have or the solution that you provide and, and make those connections. And that's what I'm really, really passionate about is helping connect people around, um, you know, the, their problems that they're having and the solutions that they need. Uh, but when, when you try to go out in the world now, what it looks like to other people is like, Oh, you don't have a niche. Oh, you don't, you can't help me because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an accountant. Well, you have the same problem as my motorcycle dealership does. You need to connect with the people that you want to serve, don't you? And so that becomes the core offering. That's what it means then uh, to niche down. That's what the the gurus and everything are missing in terms of like what the message is that they're trying to get across. That's how you uh, really get focused on on what you do. And, and for you, it sounds like it started with getting clear on that mission and then, and then, filtering the opportunities that you have through that uh, funnel until it made sense so that you could continue to grow the business. Right. I'm not going to argue this point yeah. because I don't necessarily disagree with, with everything, but have you ever, have you ever gotten a really cool opportunity and something that's worked really well for you in your growth? Because you said yes to something that traditionally you wouldn't have. I, I literally can only think of one and it was one we did last year. Um, it was mostly subcontracted work. I, I sold it to myself that it's technically part of the parking lot. So there was a little bit of parking lot work, but it was mostly like a, like a hardscape, like a landscape type job. That was kind of a unique one off because it was our, one of our best clients. And, um, you know, I had some resources of other contractors who would help out, but I try not to get too carried away. I mean, you guys know, right? Like when you start connecting with people, especially in your market and the people realize you're not a weasel and you're actually, you know, trying to run a legitimate business, like these opportunities just come to you. Right. So I used to say, you know, uh, that just fell into my lap. My, my business coach beat that out of me. He's like, stop saying that you're selling yourself short. Like, you know, it's the work you do building relationships. Naturally, these things come to you. It's an interesting topic, man. Like I, I get what Devin's saying about niching down. I, I can't honestly say what would be the best for different people in different industries. Like I, like I said, for us, it's very simple parking lots. That's the mission premier provider. We're going to do it. Um, it gets, I, I think it gets a little trickier when you start thinking about the other things and other service offerings, like you could get really carried away, especially if somebody approaches you like Mitch to your point, if somebody approaches you with a like million dollar idea and you think it's a slam dunk. I would lean more towards not doing it if it doesn't align with your the mission of whatever company, the brand that you have. I it, as tempting as it is with money, unless it's something that you can really I hate the word justify, but if you could like explain it 
clearly to somebody else, like, this is why we took it outside of money. I, I generally wouldn't go for it. I, I really wouldn't. I don't, and that's not to say like, if you're a drywall company, you have to be drywall forever. I mean, that's, that's maybe that's not the mission. That's not the purpose. But if the moment you get that $50,000 trim job, you know, opportunity and you're like, you just see the dollars, man, dollar opportunities can really mess up your brain. And the reason why our company has grown so fast in the last eight months is because we're just, we're hyper-focused on the mission, man. So I don't want to get distracted. If somebody came and offered us a $100,000 stucco painting job, I don't want it because it's not going to facilitate what we're actually trying to do. The other thing I would ask myself too, I guess, as I amused myself here is if some, you know, we get that opportunity for a hundred thousand dollars stucco painting job, what am I going to do with that money? Like, let's say we profit really good on it. We profit 50% because it's a great job. What am I going to do with that $50,000? Like, I'm just going to use it to, you know, further the mission of the company as it was anyways. I'm not going to get more into stucco painting, you know? if, or whatever the other services, that's the point. And this is what Sam was talking about. That's the point where you're like, this is a whole separate business. Like start a whole separate thing. Don't, don't mush it into what you're doing now because it doesn't really gel. The money might be there, but it doesn't gel with the mission. So when do you, when do you create a division versus a new company versus walking away? Because I'm going to use an example. There's a, a very, um, large company in Canada. They're the largest roofing company in Canada. And they're known as that roofing. But like 90% of other roofing companies in North America, they realized on a building, what has more square footage, the roof or the walls? And then everyone's like, oh my goodness, we're, you know, we're, we're fighting and we're scrapping with other companies for 10,000 square feet when there's, you know, 120,000 square feet of wall at triple the square foot price. So now aren't they told are we something, something roofing and exterior? Yeah. And so all these large, the all these large companies, they started getting into walls and now they're taking the full envelope and they've changed from a roofing company to an envelope company. Okay. So uh, you know what? I so got where, a perfect where analogy. Where is this in our conversation? Okay. I got the perfect analogy for this. At some point, uh, you have to be niche enough to know the people you serve, the types of people you serve and the relationships that you can build based on your core values and beliefs and, and the systems. Right. But at some point you're going to tap that out. And if you still want growth for the business, you're going to want to be able to do more. And so I would call this the Walmart. At first, Walmart was really, really good at serving a small local community and they had a very specific offering. And as they got good at serving people that way, they brought in more and they opened up the offering. They brought in more and more and more and more until they became literally the world's, I don't know, leader in retail business. One of them anyways, if, if we're bringing Amazon into the mix and we might have to have a totally different argument, but same thing happened with Amazon. Amazon started with books. They just wanted to sell books. And then when they figured out one of the world's hugest logistical nightmares, which is how to get things around the world efficiently, they were like, well, what, you know, will this work for other people? And so their niche wasn't just people online that like books. It just became people online that like buying shit. 
and 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 now you just keep adding and, and and opening that up but i but i think it starts with what are we good at what can we do and because i, I don't know cam are are you ever going to expand outside of parking lot type stuff would that ever be something let's say you've you know become central bc's biggest line painting company or parking lot service company at what point do you go oh you know what maybe we can do something else maybe we can do or do you just make another company now and let this one kind of continue to function i get i get both sides i'm glad mitch you kind of challenged it a little bit because if you have a good business and you have that opportunity that roofing company you said did they actually change their name like are they i don't know which company you're talking about but like do they do the the main one i'm talking about is flynn Right. Oh, so, yeah, I know them. Yeah, yeah. So they okay. do they do envelopes now and everything. So Rogers Arena, yes, entire envelope was flat. That, that thing is sick. But that's that was a big job. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was huge. But yeah, it, PCL. The majority of PCL's roofs and walls are done by Flynn. Interesting. So you know, they <sighs> Flynn actually started their own manufacturing of their panels. Yeah, their wall panels. So and their clips. They, and they, I mean, they're big enough that they have huge networks and connections, but they literally got into manufacturing their own product because they were going so heavy into the walls because it was so much more profitable and yet they get roofing. So now they go in and they Mm -hmm. bid and to the GC, it makes sense because now they only have to deal with one company for the entire envelope rather than like 10. And my point goes back to your application. And this is where I do challenge it a little bit. I'm not saying you're wrong, but just from another perspective, let's go back to the Walmart scenario. Yes, your goal, parking lot. That's your go-to. You, you're good at it. You're efficient, and you've got what you need for your parking lot, your lines, and and even if you got into lighting or whatever and snow removal. But now Walmart, they don't want to deal with ten people. They're like, we do need the exteriors of everything in BC painted. So for you to land a parking lot guaranteed without haggling, you say, okay, and I'll paint your buildings for this rate, but I want this contract in the same time. To me, that those opportunities are there all the time. I get approached for that all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't, I sometimes have to paint after drywall to compete with the next guy so that I can get the drywall work. So I have to take on the painting. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's out of my element, but I'm not going after painting. But sometimes I have to take it to get what I want. I get it. I get it. So everything has a ceiling, right? That's what I would say. So if, if, Again, our mission is to be the premier parking lot provider. That's not measurable. Like I get to decide when we're the premier parking lot. There's no, there's no metric for that. But are the metrics we do have, like Central BC is not a huge market. So we're going to hit a ceiling, especially for pavement marking, which is our bread and butter. Like how far can we push pavement marking? There is a ceiling. I don't know what the ceiling is. But what I mean to say is like, we're not, we don't typically service small clients anymore. Like your gas stations, we're going after bigger ones. We serve a wide area. So we're going after malls. We go after industrial mills. We go after things that have bigger scopes because that's where we really hone in our skills. If we get to that, that, you know, quote ceiling, then you have a choice to make, right? Mitch, like in my opinion, like what do you do now? So you, you've grown your pavement marking division as fat, as big as you can in your market. So you either have to go to a whole different market and do the same service, or you stay in the market and do a different service. I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way, but what I would say, I don't think so either. 
No, there's more than one road. And I think everyone sitting here listening to the one path is going, yeah, but so I think we have to look at both. Can I tell you what I think? What I think is the million dollar mistake though, with people thinking about service offerings and different additions is if you're listening to this and you are a smaller company, and I don't want to put a metric on it because every company, every industry is different, but if you're an under seven figure company, and you're in a market where you, you have a good service, you provide a good product, you know who your ideal client is, and you're, you're under a million dollars, I can't see a scenario where you, ha- like you, you, would, you have an opportunity, we'll say, to really hone in and, and grow that part as much as you can, rather than trying to supplement other things into it to, to grow it. So I feel like if, so when I was a smaller company, it was just me and a helper or two or three of us. So we, we were a much smaller company, $200,000. It was significantly easier to grow both the top line and bottom line by really honing in on what we do and doing it like really well. So finding our ideal clients, leaning into that hardcore, when we get to that theoretical ceiling, that's when I would go, you know what, maybe there is something different. Maybe we'll become the Flynn and we'll do the envelopes now, like we'll do the exterior work. I think though, for most companies, I don't think that's a wise idea to do when you're smaller or unless you have a very clear intention of what you're doing. It's just too easy to see the dollars, man. Like I I get it. The money... The money is usually the number one trap for small businesses. Like I, I think failing, somebody tried to overreach. I, I have kind of metrics that I have in my binder when I come to clients and, and talk to them about their business. But yeah, but know, even big, but even big companies, like when, when Wendy's bought out uh, the Tim Hortons franchise, which I realize they're in the States, but predominantly Canadian franchise. So I was, oh man, I don't remember how it feels like forever ago, maybe 10 years ago. So Tim Hortons went all in on like massive service expansion and they still do to an extent, they still do some funny stuff, but I don't know if you guys remember like Tim Hortons six years ago, you could get all sorts of weird service offer, like weird, weird food items at the counter. Like they went into the beyond meat stuff. They went into all sorts, like not just like basic food wraps, but they went into weird stuff, weird drinks. And they were trying to expand with all these different things and it didn't help them. Like it didn't help the bottom line. It didn't help the top line. And they intentionally said, this was a few years ago. um, They may have even made a leadership change over it. I can't remember, but I remember an article that clearly said, we are going to boil this back down, niche down, as Devin would say, we're going to bring it back to what we're dang good at. And so they still have some offerings. They'll still come up with weird stuff, but they really honed back in on what they were good at. And the results spoke for themselves. They went from being too diluted with what they're trying to do. They're trying to reach too many people. And so for contractors, oh man, like that is a fatal, fatal error. It's trying to reach too many people when you should be focusing on leaning into the people who are the right, the right clients. You know what? And this is something that I'm experiencing. Uh, yeah, I do social media management, we can do the marketing, you know, we can do funnel development websites, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and something that has kind of taken me away from what my core mission was. And this is so enlightening just for me to even be a part of this conversation. Uh, this company that I'm working with, they have been using, um, a lot of really, really old school systems to accomplish a task that can literally be done with a couple of plugins on a website. And so 
uh, all of these tiny little tasks that are taking away a lot of time from the admin team and anybody else that's in the team onboarding new clients or whatever. It's like, what if we just took that whole process, simplified it into this one thing and made your life easier? Now, uh, that was just like, while I was talking to somebody, I was like, Hey, but you know, I could do it. It took me two months and I ca- like countless, countless hours at all billable and all been paid for, like not a huge problem. Everybody knew what we were getting into, but what it, what it put a, put the brakes on was client acquisition for me and for the business. I'm trying to grow the business and and do it in a systemic way where I create SOPs. I hand them off to a team member. They can manage it and handle it because it's not too uh, you know intense. As long as they got a little bit of background and being creative and all that kind of stuff. Here, offload the work. I go get client. I offload the work. Client offload. I'm managing this whole you know big system. And then it was like everything comes to a screeching halt because I saw this one thing where it was like, oh, it's a puzzle. It's a challenge. It's a thing I can do. Also, I can get paid a lot. And then uh, now I'm sitting back and like the company hasn't grown in the last two months because I've been so locked up in this task that I've had no time to do the other ones. And so I can see shiny, the value of shiny that. object syndrome. That's, that's <laughs> totally what it is. Like you see the yeah. $50,000 trim. You, Tim Horton saw the 500 different food items. Like it's shiny object syndrome. It totally with, is. With the trim. I want to go back to that example because I, I find that very intriguing. Because to me, yes, people like to see someone drop 50K on their kitchen. I I see it all the time. So that's, that's not an issue, but to me, the countertop and trim, they don't match in business because when you're getting your kitchen done, you don't phone your countertop guy for trim. That's right. Plumbing. Right. Right. So it's like, to me, they weren't paired properly. And I think a better pairing would have made that successful. Now, if he was a better business, the other guy was a better business guy. Yes, it probably would have been successful anyway. But to me, countertops are their own thing. As a countertop guy, if I was going to, you know, on paper or off paper partner with somebody to go in on projects together, it would be a cabinet guy, not a trim guy. If I was a floor layer, I would team up with a trim guy because those are are, you know, compatible. Those are relationship. So it's, it's like having a plumber and electrician that makes sense. Usually they're hand in hand, but a plumber and a roofer, it doesn't necessarily make sense. There's such little overlap that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to, to join those and bolt those together. It, it looks awkward. So I think that that played into it a little bit where it hindered any potential success that was there. So I do think the right add-ons makes sense, but adding on for the sake of, of seeing this. So I'm going to go into like a 30 second example. And, and, um, Cam, I I know, you know, this gentleman is, is in Northern BC (laughs) and he started a restoration company or a cleaning carpet company. And he was like, you know what? There is a lot of restoration work. So he got into restoration and he started a restoration company. And then he realized, oh, you know what? There is not an electrical company here. And in restoration work, we come across a lot of electrical. So we started an electrical company. Same name, but it was that name and then electrical. And then it was plumbing. And then it was like, well, we need a framer. We might as well take on framing. So now they have a framing. And they're the largest company in Northwest BC. 
And it was because of add-on and bolt-ons, but it was the pairing that made sense. It was not just some random chasing this, this big, you know, $100,000 PO. It was the pairing that made sense and it drew multiple revenues into the same pot. So that's where I'm not trying to disagree, but I do think that in order, I think bolting on to a company is so important and imperative to growth. However, it comes with a clause. It comes with a factor that that pairing has to be symbiotic. It has to be something that works in cohesion, not just for the sake of growing your business. So, so I, I, I think that, uh, I think this is like a wonderful example of it's not an either or situation. It's definitely an and situation, but it's about timing and it's about the relationships and it's about your capacity to be able to serve inside of the skills that you offer or your network offers. And that kind of lends to the bigger question here is when and how do you do that growing in a way that's sustainable for you and your company? Um, as an example here, a little anecdote from, uh, I think it was Bradley. I saw uh, a TikTok video and he was talking about, well, here's, here's, you know, how to build a business. And he, he says, I go out and I get enough work that I'm making five grand a month. Then I go hire people and pay them that five grand a month, but that puts me back at zero. And so now I got to go back out and get five grand worth of more work every month. But then instead of sitting there and holding on to it, I got to find people and pay them that five. And so he just keeps leveling this up in terms of like how much work he has and how he can hire it out until it gets to a place where uh, he can now take profit from the business and growing the business. And I'm from, you know, your perspective, Cam, what does that look like in terms of how you've been growing your company? Cause it was just you. And then it was you and a buddy and then it turned into four or five. And now it's, you know, you're at 11 people. Uh, yeah, how and when? Man. Well, I'll tell you something funny about <laughs> something my accountant said quite a while ago. She thought our books were wrong. She's like, she doesn't really know our industry that well. She works predominantly with oil and gas companies, but I've worked with her since day one. So she knows me very well. And she did, she did our year end. And she said, are you sure this is right? Like, look at this management report and our, our margins when I was smaller were off the chain like disgustingly high. I don't even want to tell you what our, what our gross margins were, what our net profit was. Like it was, it was ridiculous. So that told me, I didn't realize it at the time. I just, you know, was out there hustling myself and doing everything as much as I could, but I didn't realize it at the time, like what that actually meant. That meant like we were so profitable as a tiny, small company that we now had that capital to facilitate the growth because when you get bigger, you're not going to operate on those crazy high margins. So now our margins are coming way down, right? So now my focus isn't so much as how do I go get more and more work? It's how do I keep the bottom line up? So I guess, can I tell you a funny story? It just happened this morning. Um, I'm a sales guy, right? Like I, I love sales. It's my thing. I love people. I love selling stuff. If I could be a salesman, I totally would like all day. But I realized now I can't do it. I'm the sole salesman in this company. Like really, I have an operations manager. We have an administration coordinator. We have people now, but like I'm the sales guy. It's broken. So I've grown it to the point where I can't keep up with the, the volume of, of requests that we get in uh, inbound. I'm, I'm not spending enough time myself on outbound development. I'm, so I, I realized like, and I realized this was going to happen around this time. Like I need a salesperson. Somebody asked me this morning, 
well, what kind of salesperson are you looking for? And I was like, I don't know. I've never hired a salesperson. Like, I don't know. Like, so I gave him a little bit of an answer. Like, this is what the pay structure could look like. Like if they're more experienced, we'd pay them less base salary, higher commission. Like I've got the idea in my brain, right? Like how is this going to work? But he asked me something that I hadn't thought about before. And he said, do you want this salesperson who's going to be full-time? Do you want them to focus more on hunting new leads, going after new client development, or do you want them to be more of like an account manager type, keep the relationships you have now and foster those and, and build on those. And I sat there like a moron because I was like, I don't know. Like it, it I always shoot from the hip when I answer questions. And I, I felt like at the time I was like, I feel like we're right in the middle. Like we could have somebody who does both. We could have a full-time salesperson who goes more into the client development account manager, like go to the mall that we work at every year, keep up relationship with them. But at the same time, they could spend their other 20 hours a week hunting, going after people in close, close to our immediate area that we haven't reached yet. I don't think most small companies like if you're, if you're, if you're an owner operator or a small company or any contracting company, and you're on the smaller side, there's so much more value, I think, than going at in going after those new clients rather than trying to add a service. Like you have so much market potential, even if you're in a, like a, a metropolitan area, like Calgary or Vancouver or Seattle or New York, there's still so many people out there that could use your service that fit into what you're doing. That I feel like as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we forget that. It's easy to forget, like in my case, there is a buttload of parking lots in this market, like way more than, than like this company needs at this point. So I don't need to go add this service, that service, that service. I need to hone in on getting the right people who have those parking lots and just really crush it and really go for it. So that salesperson, like I said, they're going to be 50-50. Like we still need some new client development, but we also can really build on the clients we have, but most people wondering, like, should I add this service? Should I do this? Man, I, I don't think like you really got to make sure that you have gone after those new clients because you could be way more profitable doing what you do good and just scaling it and putting gas on the fire. So I, there's a, there's a chart that I draw out for clients when I'm working with them on, on their business. And it's, it's three, three columns, right? In the middle column, I call it business killer. So on the small, on the, on the, this column, you, you stay a certain size and you stay under that revenue and you facilitate that revenue. Like that ceiling you talked about, you stay in your box, stay in your lane. If you want to go play over here with the big boys and you want to expand and you want to conquer the world, that's super cool. But so many businesses, they want to be in that big category. They want to play with the big boys but they don't want to do what it takes to get over the hurdle. They don't want to invest and they don't want to buy the infrastructure or create the infrastructure that it would take to sustain it. And so they stay in this gray area or they, they want to stay small, but they go big or, you know, they, they don't commit. And so they stay in this middle category and they die because they're, they're overextending themselves. They're taking on POs that they're not facil able to financially facilitate, or they're not able to infrastructure Right. And so they, they stay there. So it's either you, you have to commit and make that jump or you fall in the crack and you die in the abyss. And there's the majority of businesses. If you look that, if that let's just use the term, they fail or they fall apart. 
they're in that. They took on something beyond their means and they chased that dollar, like we talked about with your example. Or you've got the guys that are big that keep, they should just go back and be small. They, should, they shouldn't play in this realm. And so if you're, if you're reaching over this and you're half and half, you will just fall into the pit. And I draw that and I'm like, where are you at? And what do you want? Do you want to be over here? Then you got to go. You can't, you can't have one foot in, one foot out. You will die. It's ego, right? It, bro, it's ego. Like some guys have the ego or business owners have the ego. Like they can't let go of being the guy. Like I have no interest, like none whatsoever in going to be a project manager, like that kind of company. I can tell you right now, I think I would be good at it. Like my, my brain, my skill set, like just my working history. I think I could go do it pretty well. I could manage a complex project. I feel like I ain't going to do it. Like, I don't need to go do it to make my ego feel better. Right. I want to hone in on exactly what I'm good at. I think it's so easy to let your ego get in the way. Like, like uh, just look at payment, like, like painting a parking lot. Most people who I tell that that's what our business does primarily. They're like, I've never even seen that happen. And you don't because it happens at night. We're out there, you know, at weird times and like, nobody knows how it works. So most people think that like, it's just kind of like a rinky dink operation. Like, you know, you're just out there painting a parking lot, like with a paint roller. I don't know what people think, but man, like, but that doesn't hurt my ego one bit because I'm aware of my market. I'm aware of who our ideal clients are. I'm aware of how many projects we did last year. I know how much we're going to do this year. I'm going to lean into that and get super efficient, super process like oriented, like managing multiple crews. And we're, we're going to, we're going to crush that. I don't need to go manage your Walmart expansion or whatever. You know what I mean? I think, I think we've beat this to death and maybe one at one point we'll talk love it. about it again. However, I do want to go back to one of the first points um, kind of in the last part of this, this episode about culture, because I know, I know a lot of your crew personally, and I know you and, and family. I think from my perspective, I think you create culture very naturally um, in, in a very good element, but it's not something that you can just assume because you're a nice guy that the culture is going to follow because you're taking 11 people, even individually, if they're super cool people and you put them in a room together, that does not create a fluid environment. It does not automatically create good culture. So as a business owner that has multiple employees, how do you manage? How do you measure? And how do you maintain culture that fits your goals? How much time do we have? Like, well, we've already recorded for so long. This is my jam right here. This is everything to me. This is my life, like in work, like work life. This is, this is everything to me. Um, have you guys read rocket fuel? I'm about two chapters in actually. I just started it not too long ago. Boom. Perfect timing. So I've had it recommended to me multiple times and I never, and something clicked a couple months ago. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to finally read it. Probably the most important book I've ever read eye-opening in the biggest sense, because in that book, they describe people who are visionaries, or as I call it, squirrel brain, right? That's me. And then integrators. So integrators are very tactical, very good at implementing operations, that sort of thing. So you can actually, if you read the book, you can take, it's a, it's a simple test. You can take it online right now, actually. If you guys haven't taken the test, please do. And it will score you out of zero to hundred, where you rank on a visionary scale and where you wake, where you rate on an inter, integrator scale. I was like, 
I, I basically failed the integrator test. I have no focus. I can't stick to a thing for long periods of time. I'm easily distracted. I can't integrate things very well. I scored off the charts on the visionary test because a lot of those questions are exactly what you were just talking about, Mitch. It's like, how do you value a workplace culture? How do you like building a vision for people, not just in the company, but like their own lives? Literally yesterday, Tuesday, we, we had our team meeting. Monday was a holiday. And I went off, man. Like I went on this, I do with this every team meeting. I go off on these rants and it was, it was a solid 20 minutes. And I basically told the people in that room, like, I hate contracting companies. And I specifically named our five competitors, biggest competitors in Prince George. And I said, look, the two biggest ones, we've interviewed operators from the biggest one. We just had a senior manager at another competitor ask me for a job interview last week. A couple other people have, have come in for interviews too. And I asked the people at the team meeting, I was like, why? Like I asked myself, like, why is this happening? Why is a senior manager at one of our competitors asking me for a job interview? And I told the team flat out, it's not because we're awesome. It's because companies aren't building an infrastructure that the employees feel like they're buying into something meaningful. If we're getting job interviews from snow operators because they just feel like they're just taking a wage, like what's, what's your incentive as an employee to stay, right? So that's how I approach things with laser. Like I am all in brother, like all in on building a culture that people want to work at, whether it's short-term, long-term, doesn't matter. I'm going to incentivize people by clearly explaining to them what the vision of the company is and where they fit into that. So one thing we're going to do very differently this year is we're going to clearly, we've never had this mostly because our company was tiny, but like, we're going to have clearly defined roles for the technicians. So line painting. So I don't know exactly what they're going to be called, but it'll be something akin to junior operator, senior operator, supervisor, foreman. And I told everybody at the meeting yesterday, I'm literally going to put these on the wall and you're going to see exactly what it's going to take if you're a junior operator to become a senior operator. Because I want everyone on the same equal playing field. I want everyone to know exactly how they progress so that they can get their maximum earning potential. That's everything to me. I use the term earning potential a lot in our company and on our team meetings. I want to pay people grotesque amounts of money to do their jobs. If you're getting paid grotesque amounts of money, you're bringing value to the company. That's like, that's everything to me, Mitch. Like I, I, it keeps me up at night. Like I think about how do I get that vision into the people that are working here so much so. And I just posted this this morning. We had an employee last week talk to us in the office, me and Steve about a policy that we had implemented and it freaked, it freaked this person out a little bit. They were kind of concerned about it. So after we explained why we were doing it this way, they literally said, you guys are weird. And I was like, immediately I was like, that's awesome. And I said that out loud, like that she's, she, she was so used to something different when her other work experiences with heavy equipment and other companies, she saw what we're doing. And she was like impelled to say, compelled to say that's weird. And I was like, mission accomplished right there. So I brought that up at the team meeting yesterday too. Like, if you think what we're doing is weird, I'm doing my job correctly because we're not doing it the way our five competitors are doing it. Like, I'm really interested in understanding what people want individually, what their goals are, helping them to build their own goals, their own vision in life. 
And how can we use this company and your employment as a vehicle to get there? That's the short version. I could give no, you a I, longer answer. No, I, I totally version. agree. That's yeah. that's kind of what we've summed up in the past as viewing your employees as assets, not a liability. And when you view them as liability, they will leave. And I think we also misuse the term overpaid. Um, when we see somebody make a lot of money, we automatically think overpaid. When really the term overpaid should only be applied to the employer in a sense, because if somebody, even if they're garbage at their job and they're making 500 K a year, good for them. They've hit the goal. That's the dream is to do nothing and make a bunch of money. So they've done it. They mission accomplished. Why are we criticizing them for that? It's the employer's fault. Haters. <laughs> for, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's the employer's fault for not keeping them accountable to do the service to equal that amount of money. They've chosen to pay them. We see it in sports all the time. People are like, oh, they're so, so overpaid. True. Are yep. they? Are they overpaid? There were two people are that signed gonna, that contract. Are you going to do what Kobe did? Every morning at four o'clock in the morning, two hours in the gym, eat breakfast, another two hours in the gym, have a break, another two hours. In the, like, are you going to do that? Overpaid. Come on. So How I, many I think years over, do you have to put into that? I think exactly. that's just a ridiculous statement. I think we totally misuse the word overpaid. And I think that most small companies and a part of it comes from scarcity, but I think they don't understand how to manage their people, not just financially, but how to view them as assets. Because if you view them as an asset, I think what you're doing is beautiful. How do I make them earn so much money? Because if they're earning a million dollars, all 11 employees are earning a million dollars as an owner, you better be earning 10. And if you think that earning 10 is not important because everyone else is earning a million, that's wrong. What happens and, when and, you go? and that sets up for failure and that creates a bad culture and it turns it from an asset to a liability. And pretty soon they won't even stay for a million, maybe one or two. Yeah, maybe. They won't. I had a I, man, funny thing happened like two weeks ago. So a lot of people know me, like the company's grown fast. So a lot of people still think that, you know, we're a very, very small company. I feel like we are, we're not that big, but we're a small company. And they feel like, oh, you, you know, you're still out there painting the parking lots yourself and stuff. I'm like, well, no, like, you know, we have a team of people who do that now. I'm more in the office. Uh, I just casually mentioned to somebody two weeks ago that, you know, we have health benefits, like extended health and dental benefits. So this person was floored two weeks ago and I got offended, like not like legit to their face. Like I'm mad at you, but I was like offended because this person's like, I can't believe you have health benefits for your employees. And I was like, are you kidding? That's like the bare minimum, bro. Like that's nothing. Like if you want to build something meaningful and keep people and you don't want to spend the money on extended health and dental benefits. And I, I singled out one of our guys in the meeting yesterday. I was like, hypothetically, I was like, I don't know what your personal goal is, but I said, what if you want to buy a house? How are you going to do that? If you're just getting industry standard wage and you have a $2,000 dental bill once a year, like get out of here. You can't. So what is your incentive to stay and build what we're building. If I can't give you something that's going to help you reach your goal and like and those, health benefits, those health the benefits bare minimum. should not be used as leverage for a lower wage because a lot of companies are doing that. They're saying they're cutting, coming in, sorry. And they're saying, Oh, you know, we're, I know we're $5,000 less, less than over here, but we have benefits. Trash. I don't give a crap. Trash. I don't give a crash. You know what this speaks to? And I think that this is incredible. Uh, as 
somebody who has the opportunity to employ other people, I can't tell you from my own experience how grateful I am that somebody, some random stranger I don't even know or I just met is willing to help me build a business. Like that, that, that amount of gratitude that somebody else believes in this stupid idea that I had by myself. And they're like, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, what do you mean you're in? That's insane. Are you crazy? Like I have that reaction to people when I'm like, you want to work with us? Uh, and and I, I just see it kind of overflowing from the way that you operate, Cam. You're just you're constantly in a state of gratitude for the people that are around you and you're willing to do what it takes to reward them for them making that investment of their time and their life in you and your business. I think that is, it's just super important not to gloss over that. You know what the other benefit of it is? And this is not why I do it this way. Like this whole team building and culture building is, is we, I didn't have to do this two years ago, but the reason why it's so important to me is everyone in every industry, like Mitch, we were just talking about like people, people are always going to be one of the hardest problems in business. You can't scale without people. So if you want to scale, you need people. People are your biggest strength, but they can also be your biggest liability, your biggest weakness, not liability financially, but by not having the right people. So when I started going all in with these core values and the team meetings and like forcing it down everyone's throat, what it did is it weeded out people who didn't fit. And we lost a lot of people, man, like since November, like good people There's nothing wrong with the people, but they didn't fit with what we're building. That sucks. I hate it. I'm a bleeding heart. I'd rather give somebody 500 chances, but because we're doing it this way and it's, it's weeded out the people who aren't aligning with the values and it's brought us people that I guarantee you to the, to the naked eye and to the outside, outside perspective. Like we have one guy, most of our people have never even touched line painting equipment before. Doesn't matter to me. They have the values. Those are the people I want. I can teach you the skill, man. I, that's the, that's the easy part. It's the people who understand and buy in. So going this route has weeded out the, the not good people, the people that don't fit and brought us a pipeline of people who are actually going to help. So that's not what why do you, I do it, but it's a benefit. What do you do to enroll people in that vision? Weekly team meetings, weekly team meetings, weekly team meetings, weekly team meetings. So when I, when I hired my business coach, that's the first thing he said, or one of the first things was like weekly team meetings. And I fought him. I resisted it. Cause I was like, you know, we're so small. If you have any employee whatsoever, do a stinking weekly team meeting now. Like just, just start your first one is going to be weird and it's going to suck. You're going to hate it. You're going to be like, I have to stand up here and talk. You won't have the right structure. I mean, I'm happy to share our structure, but of how we do our team meetings, but when you're really small, it's easy to go. I'm just a guy painting parking lots. I'm just a guy building websites. I'm just a guy doing painting and drywall jobs. I have one or two people. I don't need to do a weekly team meeting. Just shut up and hang the boards, paint, paint them, you know, like fatal mistake. I really, truly believe it. Cause I, I tried, I resisted, man, when you have a weekly meeting that has a purpose and a structure and you are teaching people like this is, it's not easy to instill the vision of the company and how people fit. Like that's that it's not like I have to prepare for my weekly meetings. It, you know, this crap don't come out naturally. And I just spit fire. Like I have to prepare like a sermon. <laughs> I have to, I have to prepare for it. Yeah. But the benefits 
are insane. So now our weekly team meeting, people look forward to it every week. Even if like, if there's no work that day, we pay people two hours to come in. It's not even a thing to me. Like the weekly team meeting is happening. So everyone comes in, we make it fun. Um, we prepare well, our, my operations manager, Steve, he has his parts about safety and, and the plan for the week. I talk about, um, I'll, I'll just go through the five parts of the meeting really quick. We always start with the meeting with an employee recognition. So either Steve or I will do that. That's number one. We shout out somebody for something they've done in the last week. Second thing we do is we talk about core values. So whether it's an example of somebody who exemplified it or, uh, an explanation into it more or how we can do it better. We, we do that. Then we go over, I call it the captain's log or the captain's report, give everyone an idea of what's happening in the company behind the scenes. So, Hey, we, we we just closed a wicked project in July, huge airport painting job. We're psyched. Um, you know, we have some stairs being built in the shop next week. So you guys can go upstairs for the lunchroom, that sort of thing. And then we also talk about the plan for the week, then incorporate some safety. So basically it's five parts of the meeting. That's everything, man. That's everything. And I can't stress it enough. Your first couple of meetings, they're going to suck. Like you're going to hate it. But when you do it consistently, people start to understand. They start to like, if you feel strongly about the way your company's going, it's going to eventually come out of your mouth. And maybe the first couple of meetings, they won't get it right away, but over time they will. To, my, to that point, when, when I really started focusing on a weekly team meeting, that's when we started weeding out the people that didn't fit. Because those people in those meetings, it didn't jive. You could tell on their face, you could tell in their body language, it wasn't going to work. Ooh, and you can see how if in this environment, they're not contributing or being of any value, when they go out of that environment to represent you and your company and your vision and this mission, they're not there either. That is so, so important. It's interesting you talk about team meetings. So as, as kind of an addition to that, um, one of the largest, I'm not, it's, it's easy to say largest companies in the world, but in the, in the industry, one of the largest companies in the world is Carlisle industries and they make everything, any, any rubberized product. I mean, trays they've bought into like the little computer wire coatings. Like it says Carlisle on it and they do roofing and they do all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I went down to their uh, plant in Pennsylvania and I met their sales team for Canada, their Canadian kind of, and, and they said, do you know that when you phone us on Wednesdays, we don't answer? And I'm like, yeah, it really bugs me. Like Wednesday mornings drives me nuts. And they're like, yeah, that's our team meeting. And they're like, it will not change that that's going to happen. So don't call us on Wednesday morning. And I was like, okay, that's really good to know. And they're like, we want to share with you what we, what we talk about. So they said one of the things, and they kind of talked about what you just did. They went through all that, but one thing that they do that I feel not enough companies do in their team meeting is they identify a weakness. They identify a fail and they don't do it to point the finger because they don't talk about who had a breakdown. What they do is they say, okay, this is where we failed. We had three trucks, not land. How do we fix that? Not whose fault was it? Not what happened. This was the result. What do you guys need so that that doesn't happen again? And then this one person puts their hand up and says, I miss those trucks because of this, this, and this. Okay. So those three points and no, same thing, not going back to that person missed three trucks. Yes. They held themselves accountable for it, which is growth. But what can we do as a team to help that person so that we get the desired result? 
And so that team meeting literally becomes a team meeting because now the team is bringing solutions to the table. And I think that companies, they, they can get worn down because employees like to come with problems. Hey, Cam, I got this problem. Hey, Cam, this isn't working. Hey, Cam, we need to new this. Hey, Cam, if in a team meeting, you instill that mentality of bring us solutions. Well, how do we train someone to bring solutions, not problems to the table? We show them the problem and we ask them for solutions. And pretty soon they'll stop coming with problems. They'll just say, hey, I have the solution. Hey, we need new equipment. You know what the solution is? We need more jobs. I have an idea. Not, hey, we need new equipment. That speaks it's to them being a, a, they're a part of something bigger and everybody wants to have purpose and meaning in their job Create and culture. what they do. Yeah. And that stems from the culture. Uh, uh, a client of mine and a good friend, um, often he's a, uh, got a major in psychology and stuff like that. And he often talks about this thing called complex adaptive systems. So I'm very new to this and I'm probably going to butcher my way through it, but bear with me here. There's basically this chart. There's three columns on one side of the, uh, chart is, um, this idealistic world where everything's perfect. And that happens through, um, you know, overly nurturing or being too accommodating or um, basically treating everybody like a snowflake Um, on the complete polar opposite is this totalitarian dictatorship where it's rule with an iron fist and you're always protecting management and it's always everybody else's fault. Um, And it's, and it's uh, task oriented in terms of like, do the job that I just told you to do, then come back and ask for more tasks And it it turns into a micromanagement situation, but there's a a world that exists right in the middle that comes from giving creative people the freedom to do what they do best, which is to be creative and come up with their own systems and structures and their own solutions to problems and empowering them to be able to do that so that collectively it forms an organism it's like a living being thing which is your company or your organization or whatever it is that that community that you're building where everybody is working towards that common goal that thing at the um on the other side of the rainbow or whatever it is uh anybody that's um you know if you recognize yourself on those two polar opposites just look that up complex adaptive systems you'll find that in the middle there there are some uncomfortable things like what cam was saying like doing a team meeting every single week where you're like you have to figure out how you're going to acknowledge an employee for doing a great job that's tough sometimes some weeks it was just a regular ass week you know everything just went normally nobody really did anything but you still have to you know recognize and acknowledge that people are contributing in some way uh beyond that you you know what's the captain's log i love that as you were saying i'm like i pulled up a document and i'm trying to like take notes on what that meeting looks like because that kind of stuff is so important like where where are we taking the ship where is it going where is the next adventure that we're all collectively going on and that creates hope and that opportunity for people to work towards it my business coach uses the ship analogy all the time so uh, you said it i'll steal it too you if you are the ceo or the president or the owner or if it's just two of you whatever you have to know where the ship's going and a lot of businesses don't especially in contracting they're just in it to make money like heck that's how i started i just like i started there's no business plan i just wanted to make extra money i blew up into this uh after learning some things but you have to first have the vision but if you don't show the people where they fit into that like 
this is where the ship is going. Like what Mitch is saying. So that company, Carla has, they like, don't even phone us Wednesday. We're busy. Cool. If they're doing that consistently every Wednesday, I almost guarantee you that those, that sales team knows exactly where they fit on that ship. Because if you just tell people, this is where the ship's going, we're going to do like double revenue, double growth, double profits. This is what Devin said earlier. They're going to sit there and be like, that cam guy just sits on his butt and he's making all this money. He's probably filthy rich. You have to like show the people where they fit in on the ship because the ship only gets to that, that point where you're trying to go. You called it the other side of the rainbow, whether that's, you know, a quarterly goal, a yearly goal, 10 year plan, whatever it is, it only gets there with the people that's people and employees won't instinctively know where they fit in. Like you have to give them tangible measurables. That's why we're going to put up junior operator, senior operator, supervisor, foreman, because when somebody gets promoted to foreman, they'll know exactly how that person got there because they're helping steer the ship. We need foreman in the team. That's where they're going. If you don't have that, you just have people who are going like, cool, where the ship's going forward. Am I still going to get my, like, am I going to get a 3% raise? Like there has to be more buy-in for people. That's hard, but that's also the part I love the most, man. That's how I spend my time. Like I just... I love it. Well, in in my closing remarks too, like talking about the ship analogy, I think everyone thinks of a ship like the big, uh, like warships that run on big diesel engines. That's not what entrepreneurs are running. That's what these smaller businesses are doing. We're we're not running cruise ships. We're running rowboats, like (laughs) Viking rowing. We need somebody on the left side and somebody on the right side. You need someone on the left. You need right. They can't be rowing in different directions. They can't be rowing at different speeds. We are in rowboats in stormy weather. That's what small business and startup businesses are dealing with right now is turbulent water with rowboats. And if you don't watch Vikings row their boats, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But if you do, you can see that the winners in those wars and races and endurance are the teams that work together and they have someone that isn't necessarily rowing, but they are getting everyone in sync. They are getting everyone to buy in and they're getting everyone to the goal. And everybody knows what that is. And I think it's super important to correct the analogy or, or at least put it in the proper perspective that we are not talking about an automated system here. That's, that's big corporations that would probably, it's going to take a long time for us to ever get to something like that. We are literally boots on the ground type businesses. And that's, I think, who we're really appealing to and and talking to through this podcast are people in those rowboats. And your upgrade isn't going to a battleship. Your upgrade is adding another oar. And it's, it's a tough one to think of. And it's a little bit humbling to realize that. But I think that from what we've seen and and from what we've kept in touch with you and we're watching your business grow and develop, um, I think you're rowing in the right direction. And I think you're putting the right people pulling the oars at the same time. And I think it's uh, really commendable. And I think you're a great example for other entrepreneurs that we're trying to reach out to. Man, you guys are awesome. I'm stoked to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a wonderful place to leave this. Um, me, me and Mitch have been working in the uh, you know background of this per, uh, podcast, um, working with different clients from different places and trying to figure out, you know, how do we fit into the big, bigger picture and in helping people, not just with the content and, um, you know, incredible insights from guys like Cam. Um, it's about developing a system, uh, to make sure that when we do get to work with you and your business, 
um, we can have an impact. And the first thing that we start with in uh, what we're kind of dubbing right now is the perspective solution path. Um, the first thing is that company culture. It does expand beyond that into getting more organized with systems and operations. And then, you know, how do you scale that up in a predictable way? Um, but, but all of those things are super important. And the fact that we were able to get boots on the ground insight from Cam in terms of how valuable it is to be constantly nurturing that company culture, um, I think is super important. If um, you're watching this or listening to this and this was valuable to you, uh, or you think it's going to be value to somebody else, like, comment, share, um, you know, rate this on the podcast platforms. Um, so more people can see this because, uh, we're on a mission to help as many businesses as we can figure out how to row the boat and then figure out how to add more boats to their fleet. Um, and if you need, uh, more direct help, we're going to, um, put some links, uh, in the descriptions and stuff like that for, for ways that we can, uh, you know, help you organize that company culture thing and, and get into the, um, you know, the, the motions of scaling up your business and doing something more incredible. Um, so for now, that's it for this episode. Um, and we will see you or you'll hear us on the next one. 